now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for joining us. It's The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe, your host here every week, bringing you tips, education, and updates on home-related matters, all things real estate. Whether you're in the market or if you're looking for decorating or improvement ideas for your home, this is a great place to be. Our show comes to you with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellez, insurance advisor, Westland Insurance, operating as Island Savings Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with billing inspectors Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. I'm your host here every week. I've been selling real estate here in Greater Victoria since 1991. I've seen over 2,500 transactions in our fair city. I'm very proud to be ranked as one of the top REMAX agents in Western Canada, and I would be pleased to help you as well. You can find me and the rest of our whole Home Show team members on the CFAX1070.com website. Look under Shows. There you'll find us, the whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe. All of our contact information is there. We'd be happy to talk with you. We're having a really important conversation today about wills and estates and other matters. Owning real estate is one thing, but what happens on death or with a change in marital status or other changes? It's a scary proposition, but one that can be easily arranged. We're speaking with Gurpreet Randawa today. She's a partner and one of our show, show partners, show sponsors with the Sitka Law Group. We always do start with our weekly listener story or question. And if you have a question that, or story that you'd like to share with us, give us a call. Our number is 250-414-6540. That's 250-414-6540. Leave a message, please, and we'll get right back to you. Or you can visit us, cfax1070.com, and we'll discuss it on the air. We have a strata question today. One has been asked a number of times recently, and uh, here we go. What happens if I'm selling my condo with a spe- uh, hold on a sec. What happens if I'm selling my condo and a special assessment is decided on between when I sell and when I move? Who is responsible? Uh, of course, we do have Gurpreet Randawa on the line. I do want to mention the oh, Gurpreet, hello, first of all. Hello, Tony. <laughs> okay. Good question. This is one that comes up uh, quite often, right? Um, I do want to quote, however, uh, first on the uh, purchase of, con- sorry, the the um, strata contract of purchase and sale that we have here in Victoria. We have our own uh, addendums, which is an extra page that goes in a contract, and there's a number of provisions on there. But the one I want to bring up is on addendum one, it's section 11, and it says special levy. As per section 109 of the Strata Property Act, if a special levy is approved before the strata lot is conveyed to the buyer, then A, the seller owes the strata corporation the portion of the levy that is payable before the date the strata lot is conveyed, and B, the, the buyer owes the strata corporation the portion of the levy that is payable on or after the date the strata lot is conveyed. Yeah, this is an important one for people to know, right, Capri? Absolutely. And this is actually one that's come up uh, two times over the past two weeks for me with clients who are selling a condo where a special levy was um, issued prior to the completion date and just working through who's responsible. And it really comes down to when it's payable. Is it payable before completion or after? 
And that's always laid out because the, the strata says, you know, it, this this payment is due on August the 1st and this payment is due on January the 1st or whatever. Um, I think the other thing that's important for people to know, too, is it's rare for a strata to make a decision on a special levy out of the blue. So, yeah. you know, when, when somebody sells their property, usually it's two months or three months until they have to move. The strata would have figured this out because they have annual general meetings, they have special general meetings, all that stuff, right? And this is why it's so important for prospective buyers to review the minutes of Estrada as part of doing their due diligence, because there will be discussions regarding whether or not to issue a special levy. Um, and that'll, that's a red flag for buyers. And if you are negotiating that the seller is going to pay that special levy, even if it's payable after completion, it's very, very, very important to include that as a term in the contract. Yeah. Clarity, right? Clarity is a really good thing. Yeah. Because yeah. the default is if it's payable after completion, buyer's responsible. Yeah, uh, that's the age old, don't just assume that things yeah. are going to be there. In fact, there's a provision in the contract that says something like there's no representations or warranties uh, or guarantees other than those written out in the agreement, right? Absolutely. And when it comes to land titles, any terms must be written. Yeah. Verbal reps and warranties are not a part of the contract. Mm -hmm. You know, this is an important conversation because sometimes these special assessments can be sizable, right? Absolutely. Especially with the older buildings in town. Yeah. Um, it's especially bad, you know, if they're talking about a full remediation and you get hit with this $100,000 uh, um, special assessment. Again, th these are things that don't just pop up in a two-month or three-month period. Usually the strata has gone through an entire process. They've had engineers reports. They've had all that kind of stuff. So there's some degree of, um, I don't know if protection is the right word, but there's so some degree of uh, the ability to research and uh, um and do your due diligence. Very, very important. Review strata minutes, review depreciation reports. Um, yeah. Ensure that you are doing that due diligence before you put in an offer or make it conditional on that due diligence. Yeah. Now, actually, you, the review of documents is something that you guys can handle too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can definitely help with review of documents. Um, they can be hundreds of pages. Yes. So we ask for notice. Um, <laughs> yeah, as in don't, I need this for tomorrow, right? I usually get that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, well, you're, I mean, you're right. I have, I have seen 400 pages, especially with a depreciation report that has, uh, I mean, it's an engineering report, so it already has a lot of pages to it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the, the main thing is, uh, as a buyer, you're going to want to make sure that your agent is walking you through the entire situation. Uh, you don't want any surprises. The worst thing is to have a surprise. You know, for me, knock on wood, uh, in all these years, we have not had that surprise. It's because we ask the questions, right? We ask the questions. We want to make sure that there, there, um, there's nothing scary looming, uh, looming around the corner, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, you know, while we're at it, I, I want to just talk a little bit. Uh, we have uh, clients from out of town. I, we have Toronto. We have Vancouver. We've got uh, all this. They're, they're coming over and they want to buy condos. And this is one of the things that we find we're having this conversation about often is we had this period. You know, it's, it's, it's long ago enough now that I think people have forgotten. We had that whole leaky condo syndrome. Yeah. Where buildings were, uh, you know, uh, sadly in, uh, inadequately designed. Buildings got leaky. Uh, they, they, many, most have been fixed, but some of them haven't. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's always a concern. We warn our, our buyers about the fact that certain buildings may mm -hmm. need to be remediated at some point in time because things get old. Windows get old. Doors get old. Uh, all that stuff. Uh, I lived in a leaky condo. I lived through that whole remediation process in Fairfield. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And then, you know what? We have home offices. I'll never forget. You know, I'd be on the phone and then this, there's one thing self-isolating during COVID time, but there's another thing, you know, uh, I remember it was summertime. So, you know, you want windows open and there were saws and cutting and uh, dust, dust everywhere. That, uh, that wasn't a lot of fun. And, and I got to say, not every building is free of this. I mean, this is uh, doing the exterior of the, of your property is something that may happen. Um, of course, think, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off. The other thing I'm sure you are on this with your buyers is insurance policies for stratas, especially uh, in older buildings. Oh yeah. Holy cow. Um, let's touch on that with the last remaining minute that we have here. <laughs> Cause we've talked with JP at, at uh, Westland insurance as well. This is an issue today about rising strata insurance, right? Yeah. Deductibles, premiums, um, looking at whether your condo policy is sufficient to cover a strata deductible, the risk involved. Um, so as part of the due diligence, I always recommend that prospective buyers also review a strata's insurance policy um, and get an idea of whether or not premiums are going up, whether deductibles have changed. Well, here's a scary proposition that's going to scare some of our listeners here. Uh, we have heard of situations where uh, the policy for insurance on a strata, say, is... 16 million dollars but the actual value of the strata is 23 million dollars so there's a big gap between what is insured for and what the value is um and this is something that is uh uh we're gonna have to deal with in bc it was coming before covid showed up and i think we it's gonna come back again i agree yeah Okay. Well, we're um, once again, thanks. Uh, thanks to our listeners. If you have a question or story you want to share with us, call us 250-414-6540, 250-414-6540, or find us online, cfax1070.com. By the way, if you're a podcast listener, you'll find us, The Whole Home Show with me, Tony Joe, on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, and we are recording these uh, on video as well. So if you want to see Gurpreet, you can visit us on our Facebook page, uh, Prime Team Vic. Uh, or our YouTube channel as well, too. We're going to come back in a moment having a conversation about wills and estates and other matters with Gapreet Randawa. Back in just a moment. You're listening to The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our guest today is Gapreet Randawa. Gapreet is a partner at the Sitka Law Group, also one of our show sponsors uh, great to have you here. As always, Gapreet, you are a uh, wealth of knowledge and wisdom in these things that scare us. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for having me, Tony, and for discussing these topics that are so relevant, especially right now. Well, I, I want to I actually pre-frame this and let the listeners know why we're talking about this. Uh, I had a guest in our program uh, recently from Toronto, um, my friend Barry Lebo. He's a, been in real estate for 53 years. And uh, he brought up on the episode, he's like, you know, there's a large percentage of people out there that don't have, they own a real estate and they don't have wills. And this is a major blind spot for people. Uh, and I, I feel that it's very important for you and I to have a wholesome conversation about the importance of this. Um, right. So, uh, Gapreet, the, the first thing, as we said, I, I'm sure there's a sizable percentage of people out there that don't have wills, right? I have to agree with that. I find I do quite a bit of real estate and wills and estates, and I, I do bring up the discussion about estate planning anytime a client purchases property. Um, and it's it's surprising how many people don't actually have wills in place yet. And at that point, obviously, you're trying to invest everything into your property, and it's not at the forefront, but very, very important to consider when you have assets and when you have minor children. For sure. 
Oh, wow. Where do we begin with this? Uh, let's start. Let's start with the children. OK, uh, because I, I guess the big question is what happens if if something happens and, um, you know, as the property owner, or as the parent or whatever, um, something happens and we cannot take care of either the house or the kids. Right. Yeah. Great question. I mean, I guess we can talk about what happens if you don't have a will at all. So, let's do that. OK. Yeah. 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 Pass away without a will. Common misconception is everything is going to go to the government. Not necessarily. In BC, there is a statutory scheme under the Wills, Estates, and Succession Act that sets out who the default beneficiaries are. But when we're defaulting to the act, you have no control. You have no control over who's going to be managing the distribution of your assets. In other words, who the executor is going to be. You have no control over who the beneficiaries are going to be or the amounts that they're going to be entitled to or receive from your estate. If you have minor children, there's no default mechanism for guardianship. Somebody's actually going to have to apply to court to be appointed as the guardian of your minor children. There's no default um, trust provisions beyond the age of 19. So if your children are quite young when you become entitled, public guardian and trustee steps in to manage their monies until they reach 19. And most clients don't want their children to have control right at 19. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not ideal to, to let the legislation be the default. There is a default scheme, but very, very important to consider. Well, so you have control over all those types of things. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, talking about the guardianship of kids, because uh, that's a scary proposition to think about having to go through court, you know, having a relative or someone that has got that can't be a fun exercise. No, it's a it's a time consuming and cost, costly process. Um, things are kind of just up in the air. Um, uh, the ministry is not going to step in to take, you know, custody of the children if there are family members who are willing to step in and it's in the best interest of the children for those family members to step in. But if there's a dispute between family members or if your family is out of the country or out of the province, it's going to cause delays. Um, and your children potentially will be, you know, in the custody of the ministry. So not ideal at all. Yeah. And it, it also puts the family members in a bind. It puts them in a position that they probably never wanted to be in. Yeah, and- absolutely. Yeah. Whereas if somebody is planning their will, at least they have the ability to, to, to decide, you know, who's going to be that guardian, who's going to be, and, and you'd have a conversation with those people to say, if this happens, are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. And if you don't have that will, you're leaving it to your family members to decide, you know, what's best for those children, who is the best fit and trying to figure out the mechanism for appointing guardians. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's the, uh, so what I'm, what I just got from you is control because when you are determining a will, you have control over where things go, how much, who go, you know, who goes to what and, and all that. Right. And a definitely a smoother transition for the guardians and the children when you put that plan in place. Okay. There, there are cases of course, when people contest what's in a will, which is, which is a different story. Cause right now we're talking about, the dangers of not having a will. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, if people contest wills, then it's probably got to be pretty ugly if there is no will. Uh, yeah, well, if there's no will, the legislation's the default. So under the legislation, you have your spouse, um, children, uh, a certain amounts shared between the spouse and the children. Um, and if no spouse or children apply to parents, if no parents to siblings, if no siblings to nieces and nephews, if you have absolutely no family, eventually to the government. 
but um, most clients in the traditional nuclear family don't want their spouse to have to share with their kids. They usually spouses usually leave everything to each other. Yes. And then to the children on the last of on the death of the last of them. That's not that's not how the legislation is set out. So um, not ideal. And something that comes as a shock to a lot of clients is, well, if I create my will, why can somebody contest it? What's even the point? And in BC, unfortunately, a spouse, uh, common law or married, and a biological or adopted child do have standing to contest your will. So if you're planning to disinherit someone or make unequal provision in your will, it's very, very important to get proper advice to how to structure things. Um, Because when you pass away, it's not just the people named in the will who are getting a copy of the will. It's any spouse or child not named in the will as well, provided probate's triggered. Um, So you can't keep things a secret if we're going through the probate process. A spouse and children are all entitled to a copy of your will. Wow. Okay. Okay. Got it. That's a good question though. I mean, what, uh, but, uh, but I guess the reason why people are able to contest is because um, it would be a very interesting world if that feature was not available. Right. Well, yeah. And, and we even get into cultural dynamics. So in certain cultures, it's, 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 it's common not to provide for, for example, a daughter, and so there's been case law on that in BC as well. And the courts have held, you know, that's contrary to Canadian values. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think it's also about creating a fair result um, and ensuring that you're not disinheriting for arbitrary reasons or for reasons that, you know, are contrary to Canadian values. So there are definitely limits to testamentary freedom in BC. And I find that that does come as a shock to a wow. lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so wills and estates. This is uh, um, this is a provincial. This is a provincial uh, legislation, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 The so, act is provincial. It's not federal legislation. So, um, wills variation claims uh, are an option available in BC. Um, and in BC, you don't actually have to prove financial dependence on the deceased. So it can be an adult independent child who's potentially contesting. Whereas in other provinces, you might not have. You might have limitations. I believe in Ontario, last I checked, you had to pr- prove financial dependence. Yeah. Um, so I know other provinces uh, do, certain provinces do have wills variation um, provisions, um, but I'm not sure if the requirements are the same. So it is provincial. Interesting. Uh, just out of, out of curiosity, so as, as a lawyer, solicitor going through uh, states, do you often find that you have to have some knowledge of the other provincial uh, um uh, rules and regulations. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, you get clients that, uh, uh, you know, a local client that had a will that was registered in Ontario or something, right? In my experience, no. Um, okay. The laws in other provinces. Um, so we look at where the assets are held. Um, and that's usually where you want to prepare your will. And then when you pass away, the laws of that province apply. Okay. If so you- in other words, so if, if somebody is moving, so if you're moving from BC to Ontario, then uh, a good idea to have a new will made up in Ontario, right? Potentially, depending on how your assets are held. Like if you just have investments, you might not need to, but if you have real estate, sometimes it's easier if you prepare a new will in that jurisdiction. Got it. Um, it's possible to reseal. We call it resealing our grant of probate from BC in, in another province. Um, so there's a two-step process there, but we always recommend that you do get advice from the lawyer in that province that you're relocating to, to determine whether or not your BC will is, is, um, is going to be an issue to probate there. 
amazing. Oh, there's so much to know. Well, we need to take a quick break. We're here with Gurpreet Rundauer. She's a partner at the Sitka Law Group, one of our show sponsors. Uh, Gurpreet, if people need to reach uh, Sitka Law Group, what's the best way to do that? Uh, phone would be great, 778-265-2677. Yeah, and sitkalaw.ca. And of course, all of your contact information is on our page on the CFAX 1070 website. Um, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Now, The Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. Our show comes to you every week with the support of our show partners, Denise Webster, mortgage broker with Dominion Lending Center's Modern Mortgage Group, J.P. Sellas, insurance advisor at Westland Insurance, operating as Island Savings Insurance, the Sitka Law Group for your real estate, wills and estates, corporate and personal injury needs, and Shoreline Inspections with Building Inspectors Reese Jacob and Monica Gass. If you need help or direction in your real estate transaction, give any of the whole Home Show team members a call. They would love to hear from you. We're having a conversation with Gurpreet Randawa. She's a partner at the Sitka Law Group and one of our show sponsors. We're talking about the importance of wills, talking about estates and all that stuff. So much to talk about, right, Gurpreet? There's so much to talk about. We could probably spend a whole day talking about this. <laughs> okay. Uh, we talked before the break about what happens if you don't have a will. Uh, and really the, the bottom line that I took from you is you have no control. So there are, there are government uh, um, uh, procedures in place. Uh, but in reality, you, you, you don't want to go there, especially mm-hmm. if you got kids, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you definitely want to make those decisions and have control over what happens during your lifetime. Um, so, you know, there's a plan in place for your family. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I'm going to say something right now. I, I've never mentioned this before. Um, uh, and I'm sure you, you get this all the time, but I think sometimes uh, property buyers or consumers might kind of get the impression that, Oh, you know, I, I'm doing my, my transfer, my conveyance of the real estate with a lawyer and, you know, of course, the lawyer is trying to pitch a will because that's, you know, more business, right? When in actuality, it is the most logical time for mm-hmm. someone to be considering their will, especially if they don't have one already and it's their first piece of property. There's, there's a reason why you guys do that, right? Absolutely, exactly. You've just acquired uh, the most substantial asset you're probably going to own in your whole life. Don't you want to have control over who, you know, is the recipient of that or the beneficiary of that if you pass away? So, yeah. Because because the thing is this, doesn't happen always, but it is likely that when you acquire a piece of real estate over time, if you, if you, were, if, if you were to pass away, for instance, there's some equity in that property. Mm-hmm. And the question is, who gets that equity, right? Yeah. Happens exactly. backwards though sometimes too, right? When people prepare their will in advance of purchasing property? No, what I meant is uh, if they pass away and they owe more than oh, yes, the property is worth. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, you know, an estate's going to have to figure that out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, the word probate comes up all the time. Can you, mm-hmm. can you explain that? Absolutely. So let's say you've created a will. I mean, most clients will think I have my will in place, so everything is going to flow automatically to my beneficiaries. Not necessarily. We have to look at how your assets are structured when you pass away. And if you have assets in your sole name that exceed 25,000 in values, 
we have to actually go through probate before your beneficiary is named in the will receive the assets. And probate involves submitting your court or excuse me, submitting your will to court um, and essentially having it approved as valid. And it's also an opportunity for uh, the government to collect probate fees, which are currently about 1.4% of the gross value. Okay. Okay. So the assets that are tied up in this whole probate process are assets in your sole name, joint assets and assets with named beneficiaries are not tied up in probate. So we really look at how the assets are held. And so if you do have assets in your sole name that exceed 25,000, there is gonna be a delay. It's gonna take several months before your beneficiaries ultimately receive those assets. Okay, and thanks for, thanks for touching on that because that's another big question because in real estate, you know, we every once in a while have a uh, offering that's subject to probate and you know yeah. buyers or agents often think oh it's easy we'll just you know we'll make it subject to probate by next week or something yeah. this is a this can be a long lengthy process right it can take months and it can take years if there's uh you know unique family dynamics wills variation claims um so anytime a client's thinking about purchasing a property that's tied up in probate i do recommend you know talking to the listing agent and the sellers to see where in the process they are. Has the person just passed away or have they submitted their application for probate to court mm -hmm. and potentially having an out if a buyer does not want to wait months, you know? So it's very important to have those conversations and to see if you can get an idea of where in the probate process the seller's executor is. Yeah. So when I typically handle uh, properties for estates, that whole probate factor, generally speaking, we don't want to go to market or get out there until that uh, probate has been uh, has been submitted. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because even that right now, I mean, it's always changing, whether it's eight weeks or 12 weeks or something. Rumor has it there's like only two guys in an office that handle this or something, right? Very limited people in the Victoria office that handle probate applications. Yes. And there are actually delays now due to COVID. Of course. So there's a further waiting period because of COVID. Right. So they're still processing applications, but it's taking a bit longer. You know, uh, this kind of comes out of left field here, but uh, I've also heard of cases where people try to go through probate in other jurisdiction because it may be quicker, like Duncan or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely talk to your lawyer to see if they're able to apply in a different registry. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they're going to make that decision based on the estate complexity, whether they potentially need to make an application to court under a curative provision if the will does not comply with, you know, our formality requirements. So it does get complicated. Uh, I recommend getting some advice on on that option if that's something you're interested in. Yeah. And the, the, the thing that you just mentioned, too, is because of the length of time, if it's eight weeks or 12 weeks or something like that, um, you know, is there a provision for the buyer to, to, uh, to jump out? Because the thing is, what if another property comes up in the meantime that they might want to buy, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's very important for prospective buyers to get proper advice and have those conversations with, with the, with your realtor, with your lawyer. Um, because if there are delays, you know, when you give your landlord notice, if you're renting yeah. and as you said, what if you find another opportunity, you're kind of stuck if there's no else. For sure. All right. So this question here might take a bit of time to explain it. If need be, we're going to straddle our our, our, um, our break here. But um, it often comes up where families say, okay, um, for estate planning purposes, let's put our son's name on our title. Yeah. And there's pros and cons to that, I know, right? Absolutely. That's a very common question that comes up, especially when the clients um, are firstly surprised about the probate process and secondly, the fees that are being paid to the government. So very common question is how do I avoid probate? 
And you're right, if you do add your children to your assets, those assets are not subject to probate. They'll pass automatically to joint owners. But adding anybody to your assets comes with risks. So as soon as you add a child to your property, it becomes an asset of theirs. If they have creditors, creditors can attach to that asset. If they separate from a partner, the partner can potentially claim an interest. If they're involved in a motor vehicle accident and there's an exclusion under their insurance policy, that's an asset that's potentially at risk. So lots to consider before adding anybody to your assets. Because yeah, it's the- worth it to save the probate fees. Yeah, because sometimes, well, there's also, there can be a tax liability too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're potentially tainting your principal residence exemption as a parent if you add your children. There's yeah. ways around that, but you want to get the advice. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things to consider because this, this is something that comes up. People are like, oh, it's easy. You know, this is just what, we, you know, we'll, we'll give our... We'll give our son, you know, 2% or something like that and, and all that. And, uh, and it's not that easy, right? Yeah. And, and you're the example you just use, if you give somebody a percentage, that's a tenancy in common situation, which means probate still triggered. The only way to truly avoid probate is if you're registering as joint tenants, which means you all own an undivided equal share. Yeah. Uh, again, just a reminder about the complexity of, of this situation. It's almost like, you know, people people feel that there's a uh, loophole or a quick uh, runaround situations, but in fact, sometimes it's just not that easy, right? Exactly. And sometimes it's not worth it to 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 add anybody to your assets to avoid probate. So. Okay. Um, really quickly before our break here, the, the act of putting a will together, it's actually pretty simple, right? Yeah. Yes. I try to make it as smooth as possible. Um, people around the office often joke about the laughter that they hear (laughs) when I'm talking about estate planning. So I find the biggest obstacle is getting in the door. But once we start those conversations, it's a relatively smooth process. And then once your will is in place, you know, it's not going to expire. We try to be as gentle as possible in your will. So you don't have to keep making changes. Um, But I find the biggest obstacle is just getting in the door. Oh, and by the way, today, nowadays, we can have meetings by Zoom or by GoToMeeting or whatever. So even easier, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, very, very convenient. Yeah. Well, we are we're talking right now with Gurpreet Randawa. She is a partner with the Sitco Law Group and one of our show sponsors. We're talking about wills and estates and other important things. So much more to talk about. We're gonna take another break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the Whole Home Show with Tony Joe on CFAX 1070. Hi there. Thanks for coming back. You're listening to The Whole Home Show, and I'm Tony Joe. We're here today talking about wills and estates with Gurpreet Randawa. She is a partner with the Sitka Law Group, one of our show sponsors, and someone who's very well-versed in what seems to be a very complicated uh, process, but uh, in a way it's not. Thanks for coming again, Gurpreet. Thanks for having me, Tony. And when I say it's not that, I, I think, like you said just before the break, the hardest thing is getting people either through the door or booking the appointment, which by the way, you can do virtually nowadays as well too, right? Um, you, I mean, you still need to at some point sign. I know that you guys, the whole signing process remains, um, uh, I mean, as a lawyer, you need to see somebody sign, right? Um, the Solicitor General did introduce regulations uh, almost two weeks ago, uh, contemplating electronic witnessing of due to the state of emergency in BC. So in certain circumstances, provided we're satisfied with our identification processes with clients, it may be possible for us to witness your signature via Zoom or another video conferencing system you're comfortable with. Um, Unfortunately, we can't use DocuSign. We still have to print the document, but we may be able to to witness electronically in certain circumstances. So that's how it's being you. So there's no reason why not to now. It's so easy, right? 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, wills and estates. Um, so, uh, so far where we're at is we've talked about the importance of having a will, especially when you own real estate, because all of a sudden you got this big asset, probably the biggest asset that you have, mm-hmm. especially important if you've got kids uh, or dependents, beneficiaries, right? Absolutely. Um, we touched at the very beginning about the fact that uh, if there is not a will, uh, there it goes through the um, government process, which sounds like it's not a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, statutory right. scheme. You have no control at that point. Yeah, but when I say not fun, it's not fun for the families, right? For the extended family and, and yeah. all that. Um, we know that it's easy enough to make a will. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, people like yourselves at the Sitka Law Group uh, can do that. Um, now, let's talk about powers of attorney. Explain what a power of attorney is. Yeah, great question. So the will, which we just touched on, takes effect upon death. But what happens while you're still alive and no longer able to make decisions due to accident, illness, or other cognitive impairments, um, that's where the power of attorney comes into play. It allows you to name somebody to make legal, financial, property decisions for you if you're not able, or if you're out of the country and you need somebody to deal with a real estate transaction in your absence, for example. So a great example is like a military, um, uh, somebody in the military who is maybe out at sea, you know, they need to do a transaction and they leave their spouse with a power of attorney, right? Yeah, exactly. That's a very common scenario where we see these used. Uh, More often than not, it's a tool for incapacity planning, but it can also be used if you plan to be out of the country and there's certain property or financial matters that need to be taken care of in your absence. Okay. Uh, I think it's important uh, for people to know that just because there's a power of attorney, a POA in place, that does not mean that it's a blanket overall uh, um, uh, ability to make this or to sign for or make decisions. It, yeah. it can be set for certain things like financial or whatever. Yeah, it can be uh, as general as you want it to be or as limited as you want it to be. Okay. Yeah. Would you say would you say a power of attorney is a good thing for uh, um, spouses to have between each other? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because even if your bank accounts are joint and your property is registered in joint tenancy, you can't actually sign off on real estate documents for each other unless you're each other's power of attorney. So if one of you has lost capacity, your spouse cannot deal with the sale or refinance of property unless you had a power of attorney in place. Okay. Yeah. And if you don't have one in place, we'll get to, you know, that result as well. But even if your assets are joint and you have real estate that's joint, still very, very important to have a power of attorney as part of your plan. Yeah. Remembering that things take time too, right? So again, it's not like somebody can call you up today and say, I need a power of attorney tomorrow because I'm leaving, you know, the country or whatever, right? And that's something that comes up quite often. <laughs> you like some notice, please. Yes. <laughs> um, but very important <laughs> to know that, you know, these tools are available and important to have as part of your estate plan. For sure. For sure. Okay. Now the power of attorney. So uh, a couple has power of attorney and then one of the uh, spouses all of a sudden becomes incapacitated mm-hmm. for whatever reason, right? Um, what do we see? We see things like, you know, cognitive impairment, um, you know, even physical uh, um, uh, injury, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the partner becomes incapacitated, that power of attorney still can function, right? Absolutely. So we usually uh, prepare enduring powers of attorney, which means they're valid as soon as you sign them and they continue to be valid if you lose capacity. All right. So now let's ask the next question. And that is, what if there is no power of attorney and then one of the 
partners becomes incapacitated, what happens? That's a very good question. If you do not have a power of attorney in place, the power to make financial decisions does not default to your spouse. Your spouse, if you have one or another interested family member would actually have to apply to court for a comiteeship order. Mm -hmm. So one of the prerequisites to preparing a power of attorney is you must have capacity. And if you lose capacity, that's no longer a tool that's available to you. Who determines that capacity, by the way? So um, usually the lawyer. So we have to satisfy ourselves that when we're taking instructions, our client has capacity. And if I'm not satisfied or if I have concerns, I might refer them to a doctor for a doctor's opinion. And if we feel that there isn't capacity, then unfortunately, the family will have to consider a court application. Now that I understand, this is not a, this is a very uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. to put somebody through. So if somebody is incapacitated, there's this whole like examinations and all that stuff. This is not, this is not a um, a joyous time. No, it's, it involves a court hearing. So it's called a comiteeship application. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to involve doctors to provide opinions in the form of affidavit evidence. Um, We have to serve certain family members with our application. If family members are not on the same page as to who should be appointed as committee, we can get into contested committeeship applications, um, which can cause further delays. So um, that is an option that's available. If you don't have a power of attorney, it's not ideal. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, okay. A story that I, that I want to share here is uh, a client friend of mine, um, his uh, elderly parents, uh, his mother, um, uh, has dementia. Uh, and you know, it, it came on some time ago and the, the husband, his dad was, t- was a caregiver. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, and it, um, the dad was fine and all that. Unfortunately, the father passed away mm-hmm. and they did not have a power of attorney, uh, in place. Uh, and of course there's properties, uh, related to this whole situation. So we have the mother who is incapacitated because she has uh, advanced dementia mm-hmm. and, um, and then this whole commenteeship, uh, which seems, it seemed like a long process. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it was hard. It was hard on him as well, too. Like, it's hard on everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. And this could have been, this could have been bypassed if there was a power of attorney in place um, uh, ready for this, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, where we're at is get a will. Yeah. Power of attorneys, good idea. Is there ever a case where power of attorney is not a good idea? Um, I would say I would look at, you know, each individual client, their circumstances, the assets that are held. Let's say we have one bank account that's joint. Um, it's still, power of attorney still allows you to deal with that person's, you know, RSPs if they have one, TFSA, pension application, tax filings. Um, so I always recommend it. Um but if there's no property, there's one bank account, you might be okay without it, but I, I don't even want to go down that road, right? Yeah. If that person loses capacity. Got it, got it. Okay, we're on the top of, of capacity and powers of attorney. Something else that comes up as well too, and this is kind of non-related necessarily to real estate, but still important because we're on this uh, topic is a representation agreement. Yeah, and so a representation agreement is a document that allows you to appoint a representative to make medical decisions for you if you're not able So your POA only deals with financial legal. Your representation agreement deals with medical. They are two separate powers under two separate agreements. 
Yeah. And that's, uh, again, you know, dealing with a lot of serving a lot of seniors in the community, you know, we, we know that, uh, these are very important things to have. Um, we're talking about getting a will done. If people don't have wills done, probably good idea for people to look at their will on a regular basis anyways. Right. Yep. It's a good idea to review every couple of years. And if you have a major milestone in your life or, um, you know, you want to remove a beneficiary or somebody's passed away, you might not have to update if your will contemplates what happens in that, you know, scenario, but it's always good to review every couple of years. What happens in the case, some of our listeners maybe had their will drawn up 40 years ago and maybe their lawyer has either retired or passed on. Um, what happens? Like, where's that, where's that will? So it depends. So typically we store clients' wills in our fireproof vaults. Uh, some clients choose to retain their originals and, uh, and keep them themselves. If your lawyer is retaining your original will and that lawyer, you know, retires, then they should be notifying the client as to what's happening with their will. Um, we often suggest that clients file wills notices and the will itself is not actually registered anywhere. Just the oh. location just the location and the date it was signed. Okay. So, so unlike, unlike for instance, land titles where things are registered somewhere. So this is not, there's no registry. Correct. It's a very oh. common misconception that your will itself is registered somewhere. The contents of the will are not registered, just the location and the date. So that if you pass away and your family forgets who your lawyer was or where it is, they're able to track it down. You don't have to register in order, you know, for your will to be valid in BC, but I do highly recommend it so that your family is able to track it down if something happens to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you talked about, uh, having the original and I, I think for a minute, like my parents, for instance, always had that safe deposit box at the bank. And then that's where those things were, were, uh, were kept. Right. Yeah. And remember, it can be difficult for your family to get into the safety deposit box. If the document that's giving them authority to do that is in the vault. Okay. <laughs> I mean, banks do, I believe have a protocol. Some banks do, but it, it can actually be more difficult if you store your original in your safety deposit box. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh, so complicated. So many things to know. All right, so um, listen, for our listeners here, if uh, I'm hoping you have a will, and if you don't have a will, please give Gapreet at the Sitco Law Group uh, a call. Uh, or if you have a will and you're worried about your kids, even your grown-up kids who maybe don't have one, uh, please, please do yourself a favor and tell them about it. Get them on this whole will thing because it's really important. Uh, Gurpreet, I have seen situations where there haven't been a will and I've been involved in their real estate transaction. And I got to say, it's not good. It's it's not a good thing. Um, and And the worst thing is when you look back and say, you know, these poor people could have had a very different outcome had they planned a little bit in advance, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And doing your will is also an opportunity for you to do some estate planning, generally tax planning, mm-hmm. you know, um, those are all conversations that come up when you're doing your estate planning. Um, and you might, you know, restructure how some of your assets are held to ensure that they flow in a tax efficient manner onto the next, you know, generation or family members. So important. Okay. Our listeners, um, give Gapreet a sit call, call, uh, Gapreet, best way to contact you. Our phone, our number is 778-265-2677. Great. Or visit sitkalaw.ca and you can find your content information on our page on the CFAX website because Sitka Law is one of our show sponsors. Thanks for joining us, Capreet. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. Great. And to everyone else, we'll be here for you this time next week.